evening and welcome to this edition of the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. We get together each Sunday. We talk about the news of the week and often our sometimes bizarre lives. And we do so in an entertaining, informative, and unique fashion in a program that is broadcast across this formerly great nation of ours on 22 different radio stations, including in 15 of the top 28 radio markets and good evening to you leah brandon how are you i'm doing very well how are you seriously you're doing very well i always get weirded out when anyone tells me they're doing very well especially when you know we're talking about the news of the week which has been increasingly depressing but you're really doing well I'm doing great because, hey, I'm here for my therapy session. <laughs> right. We often refer to this program as our weekly therapy session, and we're in desperate need of it this week. I know I am. Uh, yeah, I, me too. I, you know, each week I keep saying this, and I keep thinking the news can't get any worse, and it, it somehow does. Uh, even on a personal level, uh, as you well know, Leah Brandon, this uh, week was the opening weekend for the uh, nationwide release of a movie that we've talked about quite a bit on this program, done by two friends of mine named Cyrus and Betsy Narasto. The movie is called The Young Messiah. We had Cyrus on a couple different times uh, to talk about the movie. And one time you could actually even hear him on the air, which was really cool. <laughs> uh, I know I know you saw the movie for the first time on uh, Friday. What was your take on it? I loved it. I thought it was a fantastic movie. Um, you know, I, I really didn't know what to expect other than what Cyrus told us right here on the show. It was way better uh, than I could have imagined. It was incredible. I thought the, the casting was perfect. I loved the story. It filled in a few holes. It raised some questions. It answered some things. I loved it. I thought it was great. And for those who don't know, The Young Messiah is the story of Jesus as a seven-year-old boy, which has, of course, never been told before in film form. And I'm kind of surprised that you were surprised it was so good. I mean, first of all, I know you're a big fan of Cyrus. And second of I all, am. and second of all, when am I ever wrong? When I'm this emphatic about something I know about, <laughs> when am I ever wrong, Leah? I mean, like, come on, seriously. You know <laughs> Yeah, me. I know. But uh, look, I have to question you when it comes to matters of God. <laughs> well, see, I actually should have had more credibility on this subject matter because I'm not a particularly uh, religious person, at least not with regard to organized religion. Although I grew up as a Catholic and I refer to myself as a recovery. Catholic, so I should have had more credibility when I told you that The Young Messiah was a, a must-see movie, but I'm glad you liked it, and, and frankly, Loved it. frankly, every single person uh, that has gone to see this film, The Young Messiah, because of my recommendation, or at least not because of my recommendation, but who, I'm, uh, who I know, who's a Twitter follower, or a Facebook friend, whatever, or a fan of the show, has said exactly the same thing, that they love it. Um, yeah. And the the um, moviegoer reviews have been fantastic. It got an A- minus on Cinema score uh, because it's a really fantastic movie that uh, a story we've never seen before done in a very unique fashion and uh, I, I think it's awesome I saw it again at the premiere in Los Angeles on Thursday and <laughs> I was reminded about just how good it was why are you chuckling because you had your picture taken uh, with the young actor who plays Jesus in the film and I had to put on Facebook two people that I thought would never meet Ziggler and Jesus. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, you're referring to Adam Greaves Neal, who did a fantastic job as Jesus. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of this uh, short conversation that uh, there's some bad news here. And the bad news is that while uh, actual real human beings have, who have seen the film love it, uh, the box office has been very disappointing for reasons that are completely outside 
of the realm of the movie makers or having anything to do with the film. For those of you who listened to our interview with the director, Cyrus Narasta, you may have picked up on some of the issues here. And if you haven't listened to that, you can go to freespeechbroadcasting.com and check out our podcasts from last week. We spoke to Cyrus in the second half of the second hour, the first half of the third hour of last week's show at freespeechbroadcasting.com. And, you know, they were expecting between 7 and $10 million in that first weekend. And for a variety of reasons that uh, I don't have time to get into, although they are interesting and they do indicate just how broken the movie-making business is, it's probably only going to make about 3 and a half to $4 million. I think they got mm. caught in a – I think they got caught into a perfect storm, a perfect storm of a number of different circumstances that I started to worry about a few weeks ago, number one of which was that the head of Focus Features, who's distributing the film, essentially got fired a few weeks ago. And so nobody has any responsibility now or can take credit if the movie does well. And uh, so the marketing campaign, I believe, was stunted. And it was also, I think, uh, misguided. Um, and it's very frustrating, and it's amazing. It's 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 incredible, Leah. How how quickly they know now. I mean, we we have everything down to a science, um, which is one of the reasons why I can't believe people think Donald Trump is going to beat Hillary Clinton because we already know, even though it's March, that's not possible because we have numbers, we have data, we know how this thing works. Well, in the movie making business, it's even more precise than that. So it's like they know before it even opens. It's really weird. Well. So Friday night, Betsy and Cyrus Narasta um, were all alone, um, having dinner, waiting for you know to answer questions at a, a screening in a, in the little town outside of Los Angeles where we both live. And so I, I met them because I had a feeling that it was going to be a night where they needed some company. Um, and here's the opening night of their big film, their first major motion picture feature film, you know, in nationwide and theaters. They've done films before, but this is the, by far the biggest of that type. And people may remember Cyrus from the path to 9-11, which is how you, you and me and Cyrus all met. And he was right. the subject of my first documentary film, The Blocking of the Path to 9-11. And for me, I was really, really hoping that this would forever wipe away the injustice that was the censorship of the path to yes. 9-11 by the Clinton administration. Yes. And, you know, we got to, we spent basically the whole night together, our, um, the three of us, and it was like a wake. I mean, it was um, – although I have to say they ha- they picked the right friend to be with them because nobody they know is more familiar with uh, career disappointments than John Ziegler. So, <laughs> so, so they really were very fortunate. If they were going to have one of their friends with them on the night of the opening, uh, Ziegler was probably a pretty good choice. <laughs> Um, well, but, I mean, when you were, said that it was a disaster, I mean, my first thought was, you know, the country's in trouble. Oh, that was my first thought. We're screwed. No, no, we're screwed. The movie making business is completely screwed. Um, and and look, this film will will live forever because of the subject matter and because it's really good. And word of mouth will keep it alive. Although, if you're going to go see it, folks. Uh, you make sure you go see it this coming week because uh, with Superman and Batman coming out and the disappointing box office, there's a very good chance you're going to have a tough time finding this uh, film in theaters. So um, that's how that's how important that first weekend is. It's, it's stupid. I mean, it's utterly insane. But that's how, how crazy the movie-making business is now, and that's why we have such crappy films. Because do you think anybody's going to take a chance on doing something – Different, risky, or unique, like no. the Young Messiah. Because, why? Why would you? Let's uh, yeah. let's make Iron Man eight. 
Iron Man 8, we can't get fired even if it screws up. I mean, that's right. that's the way it works in Hollywood. It's all about keeping your job. Which, by the way, it's the same thing in the news media, which is why no one will do anything that's bad for ratings. Which is how, once again, we get Donald Trump as your GOP <laughs> nominee. But that's keeping this all together. You know, this is how crazy the media environment is. You know, as on Friday night, we were brainstorming how we might be able to create a controversy for the young Messiah, right? <laughs> to, to, to get it into the news the second week. And What did you, know, you come up with? Well, well this is what's funny. And I want to emphasize this is not under serious consideration, but it actually would work. This is how, but it's an indication of how nutty, crazy the world in which we live now is. Because at first, we were thinking about in terms of what happened with Path to 9-11. Do we create a left-right fight? You know, Rush Limbaugh endorsed the, the young Messiah film. Can we somehow create that into a story and then i realized wait a minute that's like so 10 years ago no one cares about that anymore the only way this film is going to get major mainstream media play now is if the jesus character the little boy adam greaves neil tweets out puppy love for kim kardashian and she responds or maybe taylor swift or maybe Katy perry since she's the daughter of a pastor then oh my gosh we got a media firestorm you know because he's you know a what cute, that's true we it's got a, sick it's, and it's true we got a cute young kid kim kardashian has a crush on jesus by the way she's <laughs> married to jesus right you know kanye west this is a media firestorm waiting to happen if we can get uh, uh, the actor who played jesus to do this but of course uh you know it's the sick thing is, Leah, that would have worked. It oh, yeah. It would have worked. Uh, but, you know, he would never do that, nor should he. Um, but that's how insane. That's how utterly insane the media environment is, how broken the the movie business is. And I'm just despondent about the whole thing because we don't like too many people in this program. And we love Cyrus and Betsy, and it's a great movie, and no one seems to care. So that's, that's where we are in this nation, folks. And on that bright note, uh, we're going to take our first break. Stick around for more. Right. This is the, this is the show where you're going to get the <laughs> truth, whether you like it or not. It's, it's not for the faint of heart, folks. It's the John no, Leah. <laughs> it's the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. And if you have the courage, you can go to freespeechbroadcasting.com and check out the official John and Leah Show percentages for who will win the GOP nomination and who will win the presidency. But again, uh, it's a warning. It's not for the faint of heart. Uh, this... I'm afraid to look. I'm not going to. <laughs> it's not quite Seriously. that bad, but it, it is. it's probably accurate. Uh, uh, this, Leah, is a, we've done this before. We're going to do it a second time. This is a special edition of the John and Leah show. It's America on the brink of Trump sanity. There we go. Well done, Leah. You're really good at that. You should do that professionally. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, here's the deal, folks. Um, on Tuesday, uh, there's a very good chance this thing is going to be effectively wrapped up. Now, it's not going to end because, one, the numbers don't allow that yet, and, two, 
Um, the media doesn't want this miniseries to go away yet. <laughs> they haven't repl- they have nothing to replace it with. Now, you know, if um, Kim Kardashian kills somebody, or more likely Kanye, if Kanye yes, kills somebody, yes, yes, right. If Kanye kills somebody, then you know they're going to shut down the GOP uh, race immediately after Tuesday. But barring you know a major news story that's really juicy and, and ratings friendly, uh, this <laughs> thing will go on because they just can't get enough of Trump, especially now that. There's a chance, speaking of getting killed, someone might get killed at a Trump rally at any moment. Um, well, you know, there are a bunch of racists at those Trump rallies, so I, you never know. I've heard that, yes. Um, the, the media tells me that, so it must be true. Uh, yeah. So, uh, all right. So, anyway, Tuesday, as we've been saying for weeks, is really the last chance for the trajectory of this GOP race to fundamentally change. I don't see that happening. No. Um, based upon the numbers, based upon the momentum, uh, based upon, uh, you know, just ev- everything I'm seeing in the news media. There's a conventional wisdom that the Trump rallies that that are happening and causing all this chaos and the one in Chicago that got canceled somehow is helpful to him, which, by the yes. way, maybe that's true. If that is true, then I'm sorry. You know, we are. Idiots! <laughs> Because uh, okay, count me among the idiots and the imbeciles. Then you think because I tell you, it's what happened in Chicago really struck a nerve. So it made you want to support Trump more. You bet it did. And let me. Do we have a second for me to explain this? Sure, please go ahead. Okay, this was a tipping point, I believe, because. Look at it this way. I was talking with a friend of mine, and I said, look, here's my analogy. We're talking about a group of people going to Trump rallies that feel like they're in a safe space, okay? (laughs) Like, here's our little safe space. Mm -hmm. We're sick to death of having all of our long-held convictions Mm -hmm. be you know, forced down to, we have to hide everything. We're called racists and bigots. And we, you know, mm-hmm. we pay our taxes and we're right. hated. Yeah. We're sick of the Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. calling cops racist, yeah. looting, it, the injustice of it all. And now all of a sudden you have this astroturf paid agitators right. coming in to Trump rallies, and all of a sudden it's his fault? Oh, no, it's not. Okay. First of all, <laughs> Leah, I get what you're saying. It disturbs me because it makes me feel like there's probably a lot of other people that are feeling the same way that you are. And mm-hmm. here's why it disturbs me. Yeah, now, not because you're necessarily wrong. We live in a world of, perfe- of perception, especially when it comes to general election voters who are, in fact... All right. And so the reality is that these rallies and the fact that one got canceled in Chicago are creating a perception that Trump is a racist, that Trump is a bully, that the people who are supporting him are out of control. And this is not an image that can win a general election when 95 percent of the mainstream news media, if not more, is going to be telling general election voters that he is Hitler because it fits right in to that devastating narrative. It's the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. 
This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. So, Leah, at the end of the last segment, we were discussing the impact of Donald Trump's rallies being seen as getting out of hand and one of them being canceled in Chicago over the weekend and more threats of protests throughout the United States. Because, of course, as soon as one gets canceled and the media obsesses about it, what's going to happen? You're going to have you've now just given a weapon to every loser that wants to get 15 seconds of fame by participating in shutting down another Donald Trump rally. And, of course, the media covers every Donald Trump rally now, hoping that something crazy is going to happen, like when someone rushed the stage and the Secret Service had to protect him. Do you understand? I understand where you're coming from and why it's now making you feel some pull towards Donald Trump. But do you understand what I'm saying? That politically it's death in a general election, especially already in March. Don't you remember what happened in 2008? How the media used the McCain rallies and their anger towards Obama, which was nothing in comparison to what we're seeing with the Trump rallies against him. And that was late in the campaign. This is March. Don't you see that this is electoral college death for Donald Trump, These this rally situation? You know, my sight is blinded. Fair enough. I'm glad you admit it. <laughs> it's blinded by... That's why the, I'm here, by the way. Mine never gets blinded. <laughs> I know. The absolute unfairness of this being an astroturf made-up, move-on.org, left-wing, pain-agitator nightmare. I get it. And yet, I, we're sick of it. I, this is this is going to galvanize, right. I believe. It's just one more beat-down, and people aren't going to take it anymore. Well, we'll you might be right about Tuesday, but you're not right about November. Although Donald Trump, you know, and of course— we understand that when Donald Trump says something, believe me, it's got to be true, <laughs> even though it rarely ever is. Um, on Tuesday, after he won the Michigan primary, uh, he held one of his presidential like press conference slash rallies. This one was yeah. particularly bizarre because he was showing off Trump products that are no longer in existence, some of which weren't even Trump products like the steaks. Uh, it seemed like more Bush of a brothers. It looked more like a QVC <laughs> infomercial than a presidential press conference. But he did make one particular statement about what we can learn from Michigan and other states like that, where he changes the map and how, you know, he is not just going to win. He's going to win big folks. Here's what that sounded like on Tuesday. You know, Carl, they're down 35%. There's no spirit there. Whereas we're way up with millions of people. So what I say to the Republicans is embrace it. We will win the election easily. Okay, so Donald Trump is telling it, us he will win the election and he'll, be, he'll do it easily. Believe me. Um, <laughs> all right, now that's interesting. So let's take a look. Remember, this is Tuesday night. And this is after the Michigan primary. And this is yeah. a state, Michigan, where he has said publicly, he said it after one of the debates live to Bill O'Reilly that he can win Michigan. Right? 
And uh, now, last week I mentioned, well, there is the little inconvenient fact that there's a credible poll uh, that has him head-to-head against Hillary losing by 16 points and with her over 50%. But let's, okay, let's put that aside for a second because now we actually have real outcomes. We have real polling results, not just polls, but voter results at the, the ballot box in Michigan. Of course, Trump won on the Republican side. And Hillary, wow, she got upset, maybe the biggest upset, certainly of the year, maybe in several election cycles. She lost to Bernie Sanders in Michigan. It's not going to matter because she's still going to win the nomination unless black people uh, decide to leave her en masse, and there's no indication that's going to happen. But it was a major upset. She lost Michigan. It was the nadir of her campaign to date, Leah, and it was one of the bright spots of Trump as he wins Michigan and claims we've got all this great turnout and we're going to win the general election, not just a little bit, we're going to win it easily. Take a guess which of those two candidates had more people get up, go out to the ballot box, and vote for them in Michigan on Tuesday. I'll give you one guess. Yeah, well, you know, maybe there are more Democrats there. Well, there are more Democrats. That's part of the problem. But we're being told, Leah, that's irrelevant. We're being told that Donald Trump changes the map, that there's so many new Donald Trump fans. That, Is that an open primary state? Uh, I don't even know what the rules are in Michigan. I don't know how that would matter because they're both on the ballot at the same time. So if you're a Democrat, you're going to vote for either Hillary or Sanders. If you're going to, or you're going to vote for in a Republican primary, you're going to vote for one of the four candidates left. But here's the here's where I'm going with this. On Hillary's worst night, and on in, Trump, in a state where Trump is claiming, I'm going to win, I'm going to change the map, we're going to win the general election easily, and he won that night. So a great night for Trump, horrible night for Hillary. There were almost 100,000 people in the state of Michigan who voted for Hillary Clinton, then voted for Donald Trump. Now, some people said, John, John, wait, wait, wait. There were four candidates on the Republican side, well, actually, that's not true because Rubio was effectively non-existent. Not so, there. So, so there was really only three. But okay, I'll give you three and a half, four, whatever. But that's not that's not relevant in this case. In most cases, it would be, but it's not relevant with Trump because he's unique. He's unique to the good, and he's also unique to the bad. Because if you didn't vote for Donald Trump in Michigan in the GOP primary on Tuesday, there's a darn good chance. You don't like Donald Trump. There's a very good chance you'll never vote for Donald Trump because he's the presumptive nominee. He's the guy with all the momentum. He's the fun one. If you didn't vote for Donald Trump in that Tuesday primary Michigan, you are not a Donald Trump fan. And yet as unpopular as Hillary Clinton is and as bad a night as she had, she had one Almost 100,000 people more show up to vote for her in Michigan. He ain't winning Michigan, all right? He is not. He's not going to do it. And another little fragment, another bogus Trump fragment that came out this week, linked to on the Drudge Report, because this is how this thing works. This is all big scam to, to fool people into thinking that this narrative has some, some factual backing to it. And all they need is a tiny little fragment, these Trumpkins, these Trumpsters, and they latch on to it like a breadcrumb, a, star, a starving person with a breadcrumb. And, uh, here, so we, we learned this week that in the state of Pennsylvania, 48,000 people have switched 
their allegiance from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party. We're on in Philadelphia. We're on in Pittsburgh. 48,000 Democrats switched to Republicans. That sounds awfully good, doesn't it, Leah? Yeah, it worries me a bit there. <laughs> well, no, no, I'm not. I don't believe in this dirty tricks thing. People don't do that. All right. And there's no indication of any campaign to do that. If that's where you're headed. Sounds like you were thinking Glenn Beck like there. Um, well, I mean, look at what's going on with the rallies. Come on. Uh, right, but, it's not you, that far fetched. No. Well, let, let's be let's use our rational minds for a second. Here's the here's I'm going to accept. I'm going to accept that it might even be real, by the way. There's a there's a lot of other reasons why someone would switch from Democrat to Republican uh, in Pennsylvania that have nothing to do with Donald Trump because the the entire political landscape there has been turned upside down since the Sandusky scandal. You had a Democratic attorney general being voted for by a lot of Republicans because she said she was going to get to the bottom of that. And a lot of Penn Staters bought into the notion that she was going to be fair. Turns out she wasn't. She's now lost her law license. It's a complete cluster fark in Pennsylvania. OK, so so we don't so we we have no idea why those 48000 people have switched from Democrat to Republican. A lot of reasons having nothing to do with Trump. But let's pretend. Let's, I always like to, since the Trumpkins are pretending, Ziggler's going to pretend here. Let's pretend all 48,000, all 48,000 are Democrats who are fed up. They switched to Republican, and they are going to vote for Trump in against Hillary in the fall, okay? It's Get, that magic. Well, yeah, of course. With me, it just works. You know, it's magic. Here's the problem. Guess how many votes Barack Obama beat Mitt Romney in Pennsylvania by in 2012? It was. I, I really don't know. Right, because no one looks these things up except me. Uh, it's a hell of a lot Late more. Late in the night. <laughs> it's, it's it's a hell of a lot more than forty eight thousand. It was two hundred and eighty eight thousand votes. So congratulations, Trumpsters. If you flip forty eight thousand, which is not true, but let's pretend you did. You flip forty eight thousand. You picked up a little less than a hundred thousand votes. Because if you if you if they've all flipped from Democrat to Republican, I'm giving you every benefit of the doubt. Guess what? You only need to pick up another hundred and ninety thousand. Yes, but Trump might bring out more people for the uh, general because but, remember they stayed home for uh, Romney. No, they did not. <laughs> I knew that would set you off. Oh, oh, stop being so easy. Why am I stop even bothering so to do this? If my co-host is buying into this Trump myth mythology, why am I even bothering? All right, we'll come back on the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. This is one of the very few, if not only, radio shows of its kind where the co-host revels in riling up the uh, primary host <laughs> for her own joy and entertainment. Um, and I, I know that's what you were partially doing in the last segment with the whole notion that uh, somehow in 2012 there were these mysterious voters who decided to stay home and not yes. vote for Mitt Romney. Um, but this is a serious point because it's it's an important um, element of the false Trump narrative. Uh, and, and it's a really important one. I, I think that 
one of the primary reasons why we have Donald Trump in the position that he's in right now, correct me if I'm wrong, is the perception among a lot of whatever you want to call them, conservatives, Republicans, whatever, that for the last two election cycles, we lost because we didn't put out a fighter. We, we had two guys who wimped out in the face of a black candidate who the media loved. And I did a movie about this in 2008 called Media Malpractice, How Obama Got Elected. So nobody knows about this more than I do. And there's no question that McCain wimped out. And there's no question, oh, yeah. that, there's no question that Romney, to a lesser degree, wimped out. Yes. Um, that, that those, those things are true. What's not true is that either of those were winnable races had they not wimped out. They would, they might have, who knows, they might have lost by more, they might have maybe lost by slightly less. The reality is that if you're somebody, I mean, can someone please explain to me, Leah, maybe you can, who is the person who is a Trump voter today, who is an angry white person, right? That's his demo. Who's the angry white person who did not feel motivated enough in 2008 or 2012 to go vote simply to vote against Barack Obama? Who is that person? Who is it? I have I I, I doubt that there's one in existence. I mean and and yet that's the basis of his entire campaign narrative. It's all yeah. bull crap. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, look, I have a friend who, believe it or not, has never, ever, ever voted in his life. Okay. He's going to vote for Donald Trump. Uh, but what state? Here. Alabama. <laughs> so that's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Well, well but, I mean, is he the only one in the country? Uh, look, Probably I, I, not. Right. I'm sure I exaggerate when I said I can't believe that there's anybody in that category. It's not the millions that it would take. It would take millions and millions. And by the way, they would be showing up in polls. Why are they not showing up in any national poll? I don't know. I mean, it just seems to me like we've had record turnout in different states. I I just told you, Leah. I just told you. That's only the one state. No, no. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. One here. We went through this last week. You've not been listening in class, Leah Brandon. <laughs> last we went through this. The number of people who vote in primaries is minuscule. Yes, it is. In comparison to a it's general 38% election, percent here in mm. Alabama, and mm. we're pretty active. Okay, so listen to me. This is important, folks. So if you have a dramatic increase in primary turnout. It is still a minuscule percentage of the people who will vote in a general election, especially, and this is my number one problem with Trump as the nominee, other than the fact that he's a lunatic, that's number two. (laughs) But my number one problem is it's especially true when you're going to put on the ballot someone that's going to ensure the largest turnout maybe on both sides, but certainly on the other side, in the history of man. Because there's going to be millions and millions who would not ordinarily vote, for instance, if the GOP nominee was a Marco Rubio, who will come out to vote simply to prevent someone they're being told by the news media is Hitler, to be to prevent him from being president. The, I, I, the example I used, which is perfect, is Virginia, your old home state. 
In, yeah. Vir in, your, in Virginia, Trump won, barely. He won mainly because Kasich was there and shouldn't have been, but that's another story for another day. He won with 355,000 votes with huge turnout. Sounds amazing, right? Except when you learn that based upon the 2012 results, he's going to need at least, and probably more than this, at least 1.9 million votes in November. So he's got 355,000 Trump fans in Virginia. They're certified. They went to the polls and they voted for him. Where does he get the other 1.6 million? Where? But, when the news but, media is going to be dead set against him telling everybody he's Hitler. How does that happen? Can someone please explain to me how the hell that happens? Well, but you just said the turnout is minuscule no, but, for a primary. No, but no, you're, you're not losing your brain. The whole concept behind Trump is he's invoke, he's producing this massive turnout. It's not that massive, no matter what he says about his penis. It's not that massive. If it was massive, we would see, first of all, we would see it show up in the national head-to-head -head polls with Hillary. And we're not. We're not seeing it anywhere. Not one national poll. He's lying. He lied at the debate. He completely lied. It's, and no one called him on it. He lied at the debate the other night saying, I'm beating Hillary lots of times. And in fact, I'm beating her more now than ever as we move on. It's the opposite. Well, it, there's like five polls since May of 2015. Five. Five. Beat her. Right. Out of 50. Okay, so and, and 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 it's getting worse. This week was the worst yet. He lost, he was down by I think 13 in one national poll. And by the way, in the state polls it's even worse. It's because I actually I have a theory which is being borne out by the actual voting results that Trump's national numbers against Hillary as horrific as they are are actually artificially inflated because of people like your friend. And yeah. what I'm and what I mean by that is this He's getting, he might be getting new voters, but they're in the wrong places. It doesn't matter how many votes he gets in Alabama. He says it, he's going to win New York. Yeah, he's not going to win New York. The <laughs> he's down by 24 points in a Siena poll against Hillary at the height of his momentum. 24 points. He's actually doing worse against her than the other Republican candidates are by a per percentage point or two. So my, my point here is I think that there are people who um, are voting for him who might not ordinarily vote for a Republican in places like West Virginia, in uh, Tennessee, Alabama, uh, Kentucky, uh, places, right. places like that where fantastic, good, congratulations. But guess what? It doesn't get you one electoral college vote. So his national numbers, those people show up in the national numbers, and it actually keeps his number as bad as it is artificially inflated. But it does no good in winning the presidential election because that's about 270 electoral college votes. And, and in the states that matter, every single one, he can't get over 42%. He, he, That's not good. He, he, he's getting four. He got 41 percent in North Carolina a week and a half ago. He, I told you he's getting crushed in Michigan, which he claims he's going to win. He's getting crushed in New York. He's getting which he claims he's going to win. He'll get crushed in Virginia, Ohio. By the way, he's going to lose the GOP primary. 
Now, whether that means he'll lose in November, I don't know. But that ain't Uh-oh. a good that ain't a good sign. Now he might Florida. Florida, he actually gets up to 45% in one poll head-to-head against Hillary. 45 in his second home state, which, by the way, you have to win to have any prayer of winning. I, I You know, look, could he win Florida? Zig, the horse is almost out of the barn. I understand that. That's why, look, you know me well enough to know. I, you know, I, I'm a realist. I understand how hopeless this is. But I don't give, <laughs> I don't give up. Until it's going over, until it's completely, until the final gun sounds, over? I'm not giving up. All right, I'm it's s- not over. <laughs> right, so you're saying there's a chance on the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. <laughs> 